invite you to turn with me this morning to Colossians chapter 1 and our text this morning, which will be, I hope, the crescendo of a symphony of truth, which we find in the verses leading up to it. Verse 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Here's the key phrase, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This verse speaks of a mystery. Verse 26 speaks of a mystery. Chapter 2 and verse 3 speaks of the treasures. What's this all about? A mystery. Is this mysterious? Well, not really in the way that we use that verse, that word. The word mystery just means it's hidden. It's a secret. It won't be revealed to all people. But I hope this morning, as God helps and as the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth, that we will understand. The mystery is here in verse 27. Christ In you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. This is the essence of the Christian life. What is being a Christian all about? Is it following a creed? A set of beliefs? Is it a person that's born in a particular country or family? No. Is it somebody that performs rituals? No. Is it somebody that wears a necklace with a cross? No. This is a Christian. Verse 27. Christ in you. There is no other religion that claims that its head lives within a life. If you understand this this morning, you may understand what it is to be a Christian for the very first time. Christian. Christ in you. You live in Christ. Christ lives within you. He's alive. Every other religion is dead. But Christianity worships the risen Christ. He's raised from the dead. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Every other religion has a dead prophet, a dead figurehead. But Christ is alive. And we remember this this morning. Well, what I want to do this morning is to show, can I use this illustration, a domino effect. Have you ever seen people stack up dominoes? Sometimes you might see on YouTube it must take weeks. They stack them all up in concentric circles and one domino is touched and every other one falls down. Well, we have seven Dominoes this morning. We speak of salvation. 
And I want to explain what that means. Once that domino topples over, there is a cascading effect, a ripple that will go on through every single life that knows Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, we've been learning those who haven't been here and are visitors today for the first time. We've been learning that this church at Colossae, a hundred miles east of Ephesus, which Paul is writing to as a prisoner in AD 61, 62, 63. He probably has never been there. It alludes to that in chapter 2 and verse 2. He's writing to them because he's heard that there is a danger that they are deviating from the one faith which has been delivered unto the saints. Jude chapter 1 verse 3. There is one God, one faith, one Savior, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And through the Bible there is revealed that faith. There is revealed the one God. There is revealed the one Savior and the one Spirit. And it happens progressively. Never does the Bible say something that was said before wasn't true. No, we believe in progressive revelation. And so what seems to be a mystery and is hid to some extent, is gradually revealed. And in the person of Jesus Christ, it's revealed even more fully. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. This mystery revealed to the saints that Christ, one man who lived a perfect life, he is over all, he's above all, he's before all, and he is all we need for life and for eternity. He is preeminent, as we've said, and he is all-sufficient. Now, some of you like to take notes, and that's a very good thing. I have seven dominoes, seven headings. We'll go through them very quickly. First... We must be saved if we are to know this mystery. We must be saved. All of these dominoes, they start with the letter S, saved. Secondly, we will be sanctified if we are saved. Thirdly, we need to be settled. Fourthly, we will be sustained by Christ and by his word. Fifthly, every Christian is sent to serve. Sixthly, we are sent to suffer as Paul was. And every Christian is a saint and we always will be. We don't need to have a picture of us we don't need to have a halo above our head or stained glass windows. If you are in Christ, 
and Christ is in you, you are described by the word of God as a saint. Well, very quickly then. Firstly, I want to show that these are all in these verses. I'm only teaching what's here before us. Verse 20, let's look at that. Having made peace. That's what Christ has done. Through the blood of his cross, it couldn't be any plainer. There is only one way in which we can have peace. Peace that lasts. Sometimes in war, people speak about a peace treaty. And the peace doesn't last. If you lay down your weapons, there will be peace. But it doesn't last. But this peace in verse 20, having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile. We are apart from God. We are away from God. The word used in verse 21 is we are alienated. Literally, enemies of God. But you say to yourself, I don't hate God. I don't detest God. I just have other things in my life. God is a jealous God. He would not have anything else in your life above him. Christ is above all. And if you have anyone else in your life above Christ, it's an insult to the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given his life, shed his blood, you that were sometimes enemies of God. But I'm not an enemy of God. Oh, you are. If you've not bowed your knee, if you've not confessed with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are his enemy. If you've not come to profess your faith in Jesus Christ, you are his enemy because you have not said publicly he is my Lord and he is my Savior. Enemies in your mind. It gets worse. If you are not for God, you're against God. If you are away from God, you're an enemy. And what does that cause? Wicked works. The mind is against God. I won't have him to rule over me. I will have many gods in my life. I might worship the stars to look for direction in life. That's what they did in ancient Greece. They had a god for the moon and for the stars. And they worshipped them. God says no. There is one God. He must be worshipped. He is a spirit. And we worship him in spirit and in truth. But this is what he says. He has saved. He's reconciled. He's come to us from heaven 
so that we can come to him. And he says those words, Come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden with your sin, and I will give you rest. You know, we don't have to go to God. He's come to us, and he comes out to us, and he appears for us, and he meets us, and he comes to our need, and he reconciles us to himself so that we are one with Christ. Well, that's the first heading. Saved and reconciled. Do you know that it says of him in the book of the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 16, he is altogether lovely. Would you have anyone else in your life than the one who is described as being altogether in his entirety, his truth, his life, his death, everything about him is altogether lovely. That's the sum total of what he is and of what he teaches. Do you know if you've lost a friend, if you've lost a loved one, you may grieve and you may mourn and that's a good thing. But you know if you have Christ in you, you haven't lost the greatest friend. For the friendship of God is no match. He's far beyond any other friendship in life saved. Secondly, Every single one that's saved, the next domino to go down is that we will be sanctified. Some people teach that when you become a Christian, you become a hundred percent holy. And some churches teach that if you've had hands laid on you and you've got the Holy Spirit in your life, you will not sin. They call it the holiness movement. Christian perfectionism. That's not what the word of God teaches. Verse 22. In the body of his flesh, through death, Christ died to make us holy. And there is a sense, legally, but at the point we become a Christian, our sin is taken away. The punishment for that sin will no longer be on me. Christ has taken it. But there's a problem. In my life, even as a pastor, and every other Christian can vouch for this, we still sin. We still fall. We still do things that are wrong. This verse teaches that God, through Christ, through the working of the Holy Spirit, will make us progressively holy. It says three words. He will make us holy, free from sin. But it's obvious that I'm still a sinner. 
But Christ makes me to hate sin. That's what a Christian is, somebody that no longer wants to live in sin. So no, no longer wants to do sin. Their relationship with sin has changed. And secondly, it says, Christ will make me unblameable, spotless, without bruise, without blemish, because I'm in Christ and Christ is in me, I will now not be blamed by God for my sin. And thirdly, it says, unreprovable. Any accusation has been taken away. I'm no longer guilty. The judge says, this sinner, even though they've sinned, their sentence, their guilt has been taken away. And now in his sight, I'm innocent. Isn't that wonderful? Even though I am a sinner, I'm made holy. I'm made spotless. And I'm made free from all possible accusation in his sight. That's sanctification in three words. If you're a Christian... That progressive work has begun. The domino, it's like a ball rolling down a hill. It's unstoppable. Once Christ is within us, of course he will make us clean. If Christ is in me, the presence of Christ will make me holy. Each day, each month, I will be made more like my Saviour. Well, thirdly, the next domino. If ye continue. This doesn't happen overnight. Salvation can happen very quickly. For some, in an instant, the penny drops and they realize. For some, it takes time. There are secret believers and they wait for a year, five years, before putting their colors to the mast and saying, Christ is within me and I am in Christ. Oh, that that time would come soon for some of you today. But thirdly, it says, if we continue having been saved, the process of sanctification begun, if ye continue in the faith, we will be settled. Well, the word probably would be better translated established, grounded, given firm foundations upon which your Christian life should be built. What's this all about? I've become a Christian. I'm beginning to hate sin more and more. I need to be settled and grounded. What in? The truth. In the New Testament, the Word of God teaches that we are to be built upon the pillar and the ground of the truth. That's the Word of God. It's what we teach week by week. That's what our lives as Christians need to be built on. 
That's why we need to hear preaching morning, evening, midweek. We're building foundations so that we can be established. Is there somebody here this morning? Your life, it rocks from side to side. It's like washing, hanging out in the wind. It's not being held by anything but a peg. That's not the picture in the Word of God. Every Christian is to be built on the pillar and the ground of the truth, which is Christ. And it's his word settled, grounded, so that, verse 23, we're not moved when the wind blows, when the trials of life come, when there's death and sadness and trial and testing. We're not easily moved because our anchor is Christ. Our pillar is his word. If we continue in the faith, if we're learning, if we're thinking about God's word and want to sit under the preaching and the teaching of his word, we won't be moved away from the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel is all of what God teaches. That's what we want as Christians. We don't want to be moved, swayed, toppled over, somebody having to come along and stand us up again. No, if we continue in the faith, we will be settled. Fourthly, it tells us that we will be sustained, kept, held, what a tragedy it would be in if, if in our Christian life our confidence in Christ was to ebb and flow. Sometimes we feel we're a Christian. Friends, we don't need to feel we're a Christian. We need to know because we have the pillar, the ground of the truth, not easily moved away from the hope of the gospel. It says here it's preached to every creature. Let me just pause on that term. Is the gospel preached to everybody? What about people that live in the jungle? We say that just because it's a figure of speech. It might be in the desert, somewhere where there's no church, somewhere where preaching is not heard. Is the preaching to every creature? Well, yes, it is. Romans chapter 1, verse 19. All men and women are without excuse because that which may be known of God can be clearly seen for God has shown it to them in creation through the witness of the Spirit in the heart. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament, you just need to look into the stars and see the sun and the moon and think of the vastness. How could that be without the God that made the heavens? 
the language of the heavens is a word which goes out to all creatures. So yes, the gospel is preached to all creatures. So much so that we are without excuse. God has revealed it to the heart, to the mind, and he's put the evidence there in all creation. Well, the fifth domino, verse 23 and verse 25, Paul says, he's been saved, he's being sanctified, he's been settled, he's been sustained, and now he's sent. Do you know when you become a Christian, that's not it. It hasn't ended. It's just begun. From then on, every single day, Christ is working in you. And he sends. Paul was made a minister. He says it again in verse 25. I was made a minister. He didn't apply for an advert, for a job. No, he was made. The Lord appeared to him. And the Lord sent him to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. The word used is deacon, diakonos. He wasn't actually a deacon in the church. He was an apostle. But he's using that word to say he's just a servant. Some churches, and I don't like to talk of other churches too often, but some churches have this notion that the person at the front is above the people, higher than the people. They should bow to him. Never bow to me. I'm just a servant. So was Paul. Just a deacon, a servant, serving the high and the holy God. Call no man father, says the word of God. He was made a minister. He served. He made tents. He did things with his hands. This is the true way that the church should be. We're all the same sinners, saved by grace, sent to serve. We could say a lot more about that. Sixthly, verse 24. What sort of life did the Apostle Paul have when he was sent a life of suffering? He had 39 lashes several times. Shipwreck, not once, several times. Put in prison, many times. He knew what it was to suffer. My friends, this morning, do you know there's probably a million or more Christians in prison camps this morning, suffering for their faith, maybe tens of millions. And Paul says this, writing from prison, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. He's suffering on their behalf. For the faith. This is an interesting verse. We won't get distracted by it. 
but we are fellow sufferers with Paul. You're not saved to live in a mansion with gold-plated bathtubs and three helicopters. You're saved to serve, to lay down your life as Christ has. You can tell a phony minister. Just see what they've got in the bank account. Just see how they live their lives. Do they live them like the Apostle Paul, if they're called to? I made a minister, and I rejoice in my sufferings. A pastor that we've been praying for recently, he came to stay on a farm not far from here with his family from Ukraine, from Odessa. But it was his conviction that he needed to go back to serve. He needed to take the word of God, food, clothing, around the villages in Hakiv in order to relieve those that were destitute. That's what the Apostle Paul would have done. Suffering for the gospel, sent to suffer. And then before we come to our text, verse 26, this mystery, what's this mystery? It's the dominoes. It's the truth of God. And it's now made manifest, he says in verse 26. It's revealed. It's shown in the Old Testament. Maybe there were shadows and figures. But now Christ has come. The mystery has been revealed. And every single Christian knows what I'm talking about this morning. If you don't know, come and see me afterwards. If I'm talking something that doesn't make sense, come and ask questions. But Paul says, this has been made clear to every child of God who is a saint. It's not Mother Teresa that's a saint, or Saint Patrick, or any others that apparently saw a miracle. That's not what the Bible says a saint is. A saint is somebody that's been saved, that was a sinner, and has confessed their sin. And now Christ lives within them. Well, that's the seven dominoes. But we have to come to our text very briefly. Which is Christ in you? Verse 27. The hope of glory. What does this mean? It means you have a new identity. Your name, Oliver, it counts for nothing now. It's not about my self-worth. It's not about my accomplishments. It's not about look at me. No, Oliver has died. And Christ lives within. Christ in you, that's your identity. I'm a Christian. 
Sometimes you look at the description that people put in social media. They give a description of this, that, and the other. Oh yes, I'm sure mostly it's innocent. Sometimes even ministers of the gospel, they put their accomplishments, they put their favorite films, their football club, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's our identity. If we're Christians, it means something else. It means that we have an inheritance. Christ in you, the hope of glory. My life is now not about my life. It's about glory. This life is nothing compared to the life that's to come. My life is about a future life. After I've died and gone to be with my Savior, it's my identity, it's my inheritance, and now the Apostle Paul could say, everything about Paul, everything about his life, is now about Christ. It's no longer about Saul. That's why he had to have a new name. It's now about Paul, Christ, in him. It's about an inner certainty within the life. Paul calls it, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, a lively hope, an, an inheritance incorruptible. It's about an inner personality. 2 Corinthians 2, chapter 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, he speaks about being changed into the image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. An inner certainty, an inner personality. And perhaps we close with this, Philippians 3, 21, who shall change our vile body, all our passions, all our fallen nature, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Do you know what's happening within me? I am dying physically. But I'm also dying in terms of the old man. And all the old passions... They're being subdued unto Christ. Christ is growing. I am decreasing every single day. That's the process of sanctification, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, an inner certainty, an inner personality and a glorious transfiguration of my old life dying, and Christ coming more and more alive within me. Oh, this is a glorious verse. Christ in you. That's the mystery. It's not really a mystery. It's a truth 
that God will reveal to everyone that asks and seeks and knocks, and they will find Christ to be their Lord and to be their Saviour. Let's sing our closing hymn.